Hey guys, welcome to Hope It Helps. My guest today has been working as a multidisciplinary design strategist, working across a variety of projects throughout her career, including architecture, interior design, technical apparel, brand strategy, marketing, and more. She has always had a passion for art and design, which has resulted in her having such a diverse career and portfolio of work. After working in the U.S. for a couple of years, she found a great opportunity to make the move to Dubai back in 2018 and decided to take a risk and open her own design studio. Fast forward to today, her company, Sense Studio, has experienced incredible success and has worked with some major brands by helping them develop their brand strategies, marketing campaigns, and creating design-led experiences for their clients. During this episode, we discuss her experience working as a design strategist. She shares with us her perspective surrounding all things branding and what makes a good brand. And we talk about the importance in believing in our potential and always seeking out new opportunities that help us grow. She has a unique ability of combining creativity and practicality, which has enabled her to develop future-proof strategies that are centered around beautiful design and have played a big role in her success. Her passion and desire to learn and grow is something that I truly admire. And as she says, the more you believe that you have endless potential, the more opportunities you have. Please welcome to the show, my good friend and my personal branding guru, the amazing Miss Tanvi Malik. Thank you very much, Khaled. Thank you for coming today. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to speak to you. So much to talk about. Um, but before I start, why don't you give everyone just a little bit of background about yourself and we'll take it from there. All right, cool. Um, so I'm I'm a designer by trade, a design strategist, I guess I would say. I have a very multidisciplinary background. I worked in uh, architecture and technical apparel and brand strategy marketing like a bunch of different roles um i even worked in sales um like literally on the shop floor oh really i I waitressed like i've done it all yeah um and now i run a design studio um and we have a few projects going on that are self-initiated so like our own business babies and we do a lot of consulting for other clients and other businesses and um yeah other than that i mean do you want to know about me? Yeah, please. <laughs> like, we all uh, want to know about you. <laughs> I mean, other than that, uh, I guess I grew up between Dubai and New York. Okay. Um, some days when it serves me, I'm like, I'm the girl from Queens. Some days when it serves me, I'm like a spoiled Dubai baby. <laughs> so <laughs> I fair. pick and choose my battles. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I pretty much live my life between the gym and the beach and... A glass of wine. A glass of wine. This is the first time we do alcohol on the Hope Helps podcast. Yeah, sorry guys. <laughs> it's fine. It's it our show. It's my we demand. Can, yeah, it's fine. It's our show. We can do whatever we want. Um, okay, so grew up in New York, moved to Dubai as well, and you said you're a multidisciplinary. Want to say that right? Mm-hmm. Design, uh, design strategist, mm-hmm. and you worked across like so many different like industries and businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to focus today all about like design and like branding and stuff. Because by the way, guys, this legend is the one who's <laughs> doing all my new branding, so I'm super excited to show you guys it. But well, it's coming soon, coming soon to an so, Instagram near you. Yes. <laughs> Um, but I wanted to ask you, cause I think everyone has a different perspective and opinion on branding. So mm-hmm. in your own words, Tanvi, what, how would you describe branding? What is it and why is it so important? You know, I think, um, I think people forget that, um, we're storytellers, like people in, people have gone through generations telling stories. Um, that's how history is made. That's how we record memories and ideas. That's how we share thoughts and 
even build relationships and communicate with each other. So if you take that essential tool that we have as humans for connection and storytelling, um, that's what a brand is. It's like you're building a story that someone can connect with, um, connect deeply with, and it can impact their lives. And that's where you have something that will hopefully build a successful product or business, not not necessarily because you're trying to make a sale, but because you're trying to solve someone's need or okay. address, you know, their big question. And that's what branding is. It's trying to position to someone the best story you can tell for what you're trying to do um, so that it's memorable, so that it's exciting, and so that, um, you know, it builds a story that will last. Yeah. So so in other, in other words, branding at, at its core all comes down to telling a specific kind of story to solve a need which is whatever business you're running you're trying mm-hmm. to solve that need mm-hmm. so in the, in the process of like coming up with like your branding what do you what should you be thinking about like is it what kind of story do you want to tell or is it more about how can we tell the story mm. um good question because i wish i had a straightforward answer it's um it has to be a balance and we were just talking about like you can't find balance yeah, but yeah. um <laughs> It has to be a balance of obviously what you're trying to deliver, um, who you're trying to deliver it to, so speaking their language, um, and also then your own vision for what this can be. And I think having a really nice rounded balance of like this beautiful aspirational narrative to the more tactical and specific and simple things that will get across to the right customers to the right people you're trying to reach Mm. um that makes a solid brand a solid brand so it's about like you said like targeting the right like telling the right story to the right people Mm -hmm. um and one thing that i was thinking about when i was thinking about branding is i was thinking about like all the big companies you know what i mean their brands are very like known like think about Mm. nike apple uh, adidas all that kind of stuff Mm. But my guess is when they started, Mm -hmm. that wasn't the case. Their branding wasn't that strong. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, and I was also trying to think, I'm like, okay, based on what you said, if you're trying to deliver the right story to the right people, that Mm -hmm. means as you evolve as a company, your target audience might change. So does that mean like, is branding something that also has to evolve in accordance with that? Or is branding something that you kind of solidify from day one and then just like make little tweaks and maybe like your strategy on how to start targeting like new people. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Your branding is the, the latter. Like it's what you decide you commit to. You make a commitment. This is my vision. This is what I'm never going to stray from. Um, and it's broad because it needs to be to allow for all of those changes. And that's where communication and marketing and all of the things that come to support your brand and support getting the message out there. That's where you build um, more tactical strategies that are time based and topical. And, you know, they will keep shifting, um, shifting to your markets, shifting to your products. But like what you've committed to on a vision level, on a mission level, the kind of um, change impact, Mm. you know, you want to make your personality, let's say, that shouldn't change. Um, Okay, You know, the same way a person wouldn't change who they are based on their situation. They might change how they navigate it. It's the same for a brand. You change how you navigate, but you don't change the essence of what you are. That's really interesting. So Mm -hmm. you you don't change. So the brand the brand is almost timeless, but Mm -hmm. the I guess the strategies or the process of how you communicate that brand can evolve over time with the same message in different ways. Yes. Okay. 
That's really, really interesting. I never thought of it like mm-hmm. that. So what are the kind of things that make up like a good brand? If I told you, you know, from all the experience that you've done, mm. what are the maybe is it what are the metrics that identify what a good brand is? Like what would, for mm-hmm. example, give me an example of a brand for, that you like one? Why is it good? And maybe we can get a better idea of like what are the factors that play into that? Mm, like the different components. Yeah, exactly. Like what are the metrics that yeah. make up a good brand? Like mm-hmm. how would I identify like, oh, that's a good brand. That's not maybe not a good mm. brand. Um. I almost hate myself for saying this because I, I use <laughs> okay. it in all my like all my client meetings, like everything I've done for the past few years. This is like this is my benchmark. Okay. Um, but right. I think Headspace is one of the most solid brands I have seen. Headspace. Headspace. Interesting. Okay. Tell us why. Brand. Um, from having a very clear mission, um, which is executed on the most minute level, to every instance and interaction that happens on their platform to every animation um, that they create and every visual um, to the very specific use of um, tone whether it's read or it's heard like every instance you can measure it against the same mission you can measure it against the same kind of principles like brand drivers however you want to call them but it's very clear that like they're precise uh, in um and what they've committed to do and um they don't waver from that and i think that's that's an incredible brand because you've done the homework to know what's the right positioning for you and how to best deliver it and you're consistent in delivering it mm. on every single touch point okay that makes a great brand yeah um you know and so it's kind of like um they they talk about everyone's journey being different and they talk about imperfection and they talk about maybe you fall off and how do you get back and it's this constant motivation and support um and that's basically the tool that they've built um so they've built the tool that serves that they talk about that and then they also have these beautiful visuals like they have this imperfect circle which is their you know their main Mm. logo or their glyph like awesome like it's imperfect i there's nothing about their app that makes you strive for perfection um and everything is allowed and everything is okay and that's the message they're sending everything is okay Mm. just take one step just take one step and you see it in everything yeah and do you think i think headspace is a quite a unique example because like you said the message kind of covers a it's like a wide net Mm. do you know what i mean like all those kind of things are things that are their branding or their message is so relatable to us as people mm-hmm. so i can see why <clears throat> it's like successful or you think like they do it like quite well mm-hmm. but in terms of in terms of something maybe let's let's think of it as more of a something more product driven mm-hmm. it's probably a lot harder to to cast that wide of a net that's so relatable to so many people do you understand what i mean yes um, but then you have, um, you have so many that are able to do this, but I don't, I, the reason I chose Headspace is because mm. I can't say that it's because it's a good brand or okay. because they have legacy or because they have, um, the network effect, you know, they, people that you value associate with them and all of a sudden they become important like Nike. That's mm. kind of their claim to fame yeah. is that they've built such strong associations and partnerships and they've ta- tapped into micro communities. So this is all their strategy. This to me isn't their brand, you know? Okay. Interesting. Okay. This is um, great strategy work. This mm. is great um, comms. 
Um, but if I think of on a brand level, uh, something that's just an incredible brand. Um, hmm. I I think I really struggle with that. I mean, this might be controversial. I think um, not controversial, yes, but maybe like it's, it's not even controversial. <laughs> I wish it was. It's actually just like I'm outdated, and I think this is still great. Okay. Like um, like I think um, there's a designer. I don't know if you know Yoji Yamamoto, who is the he was the collaborator on Y3 Adidas Y3. Okay. So he comes from this really like avant garde. Um, school of thought and um in terms of his tailoring and construction and he like if i think of how he's branded himself so that the adidas and people of the world want to work with him um that might be like a product driven good brand i know this isn't maybe like the cokes of the world or you know it's not (laughs) so um conventional as an answer but like as a person who's developed a brand around what they stand for Mm. and has consistently delivered on that um you know, season after season of his collections and then um, has been able to convince, you know, people like Adidas and Nike to buy into this mission. Yeah. That's also a really successful brand. Okay. I think like, because I work with a lot of startups and I, yeah. think, I think about it from this perspective is like, um, if, you, if you really build something you're sure of and that um, and you do it effectively and you do it consistently, um, then there is no big and small brand anymore. Then it's just about efficacy and it's about time. So okay. if you're effective for a long period of time, then you are essentially Nike. Um, you mm. know, they've just they've just have time over everyone else. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of great brands out there um, that have proven themselves in other ways. And validation is a great way to prove a brand. So I think like Yoji Yamamoto being validated by an Adidas that proved that he has an incredible well, brand and yeah. product out there and what he stands for in how he approaches work is... Um, makes a great brand okay that's that's (laughs) something you said that was uh really interesting i was just thinking about this so you mentioned personal brand Mm. and me and you have actually we've talked about this because we're doing the work you know for for my stuff Mm. um so would you say because you said brand if branding is all about storytelling Mm. is it is personal branding different to like a company branding do you have to look at it differently are there different mm-hmm. factors that play into that because i'm just thinking i'm like okay personal and company there might be some differences what would you say um 100 there's yeah? two completely different um ball games like yeah. i think a company brand a corporate brand is like that's not necessarily antiquated but it is like the traditional way of going about it um and now more than ever because we have so many startups we have so many great entrepreneurs out there like Um, And because we're in a completely social media world, personal brand is so important. And a lot of corporate brands begin as personal brands. Um, So we can get into that in a second. But like the corporate brand um, strategy and structure, I mean, the whole architecture of a corporate brand works, works around the fact that you have an organization supporting this, meaning you have so many different elements that are living different things that make Mm. up the brand identity there is the people the leadership that is um living the vision and they're setting strategies then you have the operations that are making sure on a day-to-day level you're fulfilling your brand drivers and you're using the appropriate tone of voice and you know so there's a big system around making that brand alive uh, come alive every day um whereas a personal brand 
there's so much more fluidity in that. Um, there's some level of authenticity, which right now people are really craving with the amount of content we all consume on a daily basis. So needing that authenticity and being able to tie to a person, to a face rather than a big structure um, makes personal branding so effective. Okay. It's so much more impactful. Um, and like, you know, you think about like micro communities and you think about how people are just looking for connection um, much more so than ever uh, and there's a very non-traditional mindset out there especially in the Gen Z you know um, generation yeah. where they don't fall into the traditional pathways because now they have more options than we've ever had um, they have more options than our generation I can't even think about our parents um, so with having so many options you also as, as great as it is you also want things to hold on to and that's small communities, that's individuals who share your voice and vision. Because um, the big guys are get confusing. You don't know which brands to align to. And yeah. there's not an anarchist, but there is a bit of an anti-movement and everything right now. <laughs> so, sure. um, so that's why personal brands are so different. Because you can move like a person, but you have the power of a brand. Okay. So would you say, from what I've taken from what you said is... Mm-hmm. A personal brand can do, if you have a strong personal brand, can do a lot of legwork for you when you start some kind of corporate brand. Mm-hmm. You know, they could be like, this this new company, buy this guy. But yes. this guy has such a strong personal brand, mm-hmm. so you have an easier for people, it's a much easier or natural buy-in into your corporate brand. Or do you think a corporate brand builds up a personal brand? Or what do you, like? what would you say... Mm-hmm for people to put more importance on or is it completely arbitrary and different to whatever the situation is there's some level of being arbitrary but like i think um it's a push and pull like you now that the concept of a personal brand is so prevalent Mm. um we're seeing how effective it can be like even if i think about like big industries you know if i think about fintech as it's coming up and stuff like that um there are individuals who have strong personal brands who become thought leaders in those industries. Um, and that's where the companies that uh, they're a part of or the associations that they have come to the top of those industries. Mm. You know, it's like because you buy into um, if it's an emerging like industry or an emerging market or thought or school of thought. um the people that are championing that and that are like breaking barriers or being a little bit louder than everyone else, um, you start to attach to. And so then they bring everything with it. Um, whereas like, you know, if it's a new brand without like much um, maybe validation, social proof, yeah, then people struggle to attach. So that's where maybe the personal brand can be a bit more effective. But yeah, it's totally a push and pull. Like I said, the Nike like network effect, right? Like Nike has done an incredible job of leveraging individuals with their personal brands or micro communities with like their value systems to attach, like attach to and tap mm. into, so that it's made Nike have so many personalities. Um, mm, you know, yeah. so. I, I think brands now can't deny that you need them. It started with like the influencer effect, but For I sure. think that's totally, that's dwindling a bit because of course now you think about people see it for, you know, it being within the capitalist system and, you know, um, to some level it's just a new way of advertising, but people that are out there every day genuinely speaking their truth um, and saying something worth listening to um, build really solid personal brands and can convert a lot 
um, a lot of people to whatever they whatever they want, right? Whatever they want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think something that you said that was really interesting that uh, using the Nike example that they've been able to tap into so many like micro communities and you know certain people as well has cast as coming back to what we were saying earlier a much wider net so you have so many different personalities and different buy-ins now that will buy into the nike brand because of creating that kind of stuff so is building the is 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 it building that these kind of communities is what each brand kind of aims to do or to create this many personalities and buy-ins for them to become like to engage with you or to start following you mm-hmm. um I know totally depends on the scope okay. and size and yeah. scale. So I think um, like we're having a really like a big moment for like niche brands because mm. again with the Gen Z wanting to kind of break the trend or uh, break the norm, there's a lot of uh, smaller brands serving these subcultures that are killing it because you own that market. Um, so you don't have to be the Nike that's everywhere and you can actually be... Um, really focused and tailored to one specific community and still do just as well um obviously in scale um so you don't need one or the other but then it comes down to what you've set out to do like nike is looking for a massive impact at a massive scale um and their strategies just have to change based on how people are moving today and that means working with these smaller communities and you can't put out a blanket campaign and expect yeah yeah, and expect conversion at the in the same way because we don't um as a society we don't work the way we used to 20 30 years ago people aren't all buying the same thing we have so many little boutique shops and options and you know e-commerce has changed the game accessibility is different and um people want to know more they want to dig deeper they want to believe in what they're buying they want to Mm. feel a sense of belonging and purpose and all of that stuff so when you're trying to deliver on depth it doesn't happen at scale and so nikes have had to adapt their strategy for that Um, but then you have these small players that are doing really well um, because they only do that yeah 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 Yeah. i think that's a very great point and it's so interesting that the depth part that you were talking about that depth at scale is very difficult to do even for a company of the size of like nike for example that's why you start have to tapping into these smaller communities and getting that penetration in there and like mm-hmm. getting that buy-in and creating the right messages for those kind of people and then you can start to like scale it up from that so you kind of start small to go big it sounds counterintuitive especially for someone like them yeah but that's really interesting i never thought of it like that one thing i was thinking about is think about like nike adidas right mm. We're in this. We're in the same market, selling uh, almost exactly the same products, right? Mm. And I was just thinking, okay, if we're, because any industry, there's multiple brands, and you're all selling similar products. But you said from the beginning that branding is about storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. So how do if I'm selling you the same thing and we have a similar vision, how do I create a unique story that differentiates me from you? You understand what I mean? Like, because we're so similar yeah. and we're saying the same kind of thing. So why would you come to me? Like, what? what's your thought process or what do you think is the reasons that create something that's more, mine is unique and yours is different than mine? Well, it's, um, if we take product differentiation totally out of the, yeah, you know, the sure. story, um, Nike and Adidas do have different stories and they actually serve very different kinds of people. Really? Uh, and then when Under Armour came in, um, that like, further enhance the spectrum um obviously i don't like i guess sportswear is my my comfort zone so somehow <laughs> we're only talking about that that's fine um but 
or something that I, I know a lot about, I guess. Um, yeah. So maybe I'm just gravitating. Uh, but yeah, like Nike... Like Nike is the American counterpart to Adidas, right? And Adidas comes with the European mentality and Nike comes with the American mentality. So you're starting from there where they're fundamentally coming from a different mindset and then they're serving different people's lifestyles. And cultures, right? And cultures, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So like Nike um, was very much a performance brand uh, and now it's become a lot more lifestyle and... Um, or lifestyle slash focused on these subcultures or sub um, sports, but then Under Armour came out as the performance brand. So then that redefined performance, and then okay. you had like the Nobles that were like sports specific and that stuff. So everything changed. But um, when they started Nike and Adidas, like Adidas wasn't not that it wasn't performance, but it was selective about the sports okay. um, that it aligned with based on its culture, based on the people that were around. Um, and then they have Adidas Classics, which was very much like the, not luxury, but like the ready-to-wear, everyday casual that you definitely don't train in. Yeah. Um, and so they did like what we would call athleisure way before athleisure was a thing, way before mm. Nike did it. Mm. Um, Nike was just making running clothes. So um, there was that. It was They were catering to different mindsets to start with. And then they had to compete on a global level. So, of course, you start to have the overlap and you start to have to fill the gaps that the others are doing. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, they told different stories to begin with based on who they were trying to speak to. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'd never considered was, which, like you said, the core of it, which is mm. one's an American company and one's a European company and mm. the mindset and culture that comes behind that already, it's going to have a different kind of story because mm. you're a different kind of people selling to, di selling to different. And I never knew, I never saw it as that different, but now listening to you explain it, I'm like, Oh, okay. There is a much bigger difference than I was aware of, you know, because I look at it as so binary. I'm like, okay, Adidas or Nike, you know, it's very, in my mind, they're so similar, but clearly, clearly <laughs> they're not. Uh, you said something earlier about social media mm -hmm. and nowadays, you know, everything is kind of about like digital marketing and your social presence and like all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> so why how, how important is it now in your opinion to have a strong presence in the digital and like social space why mm. is it so crucial right now for brands or people or both both mm. um because brands i think that's the first point of discovery if you're not going to be on social media like you may as well not exist okay. um like <laughs> just and it's so harsh and yeah. i wish i didn't feel that way because um i don't value social media that much but um unfortunately especially i mean I, i'll take even if i take COVID out of it but how can you people have really really shifted how they interact with things how they find things and um uh like i always think about this moment i was in a lecture like several years ago and we were talking about how we live in the world of artifice like everything we do is created everything we do is designed to how you and i are sitting like the table has been designed to have people on two sides how you hold a glass like that's been designed um all of it every moment there's nothing in our life that isn't designed so that comes into now living in a digital world where how you think and how you interact and how you shop that's been orchestrated for you and so if you're not playing that game you're not in the game um uh, this okay. is you know this is social media yeah. and um but and for people uh i think it's less so important it's becoming more important like i got an instagram i remember i think this was like 20 
12 or something, 20, maybe 2014. But because I was applying for jobs um, in the design field and um, they were like, you're not a designer if you don't have a social presence. You know? Really? Like, yeah, you need oh, it. Wow. Okay. Yeah, you needed to sh- show your social media handles okay. in your job application at that time. Uh, so, and I was switching jobs and I was like, oh shit, like, okay, I need to do this. Like Instagram first post, like, what do I, what do I do? Um, so yeah, it, it's becoming, I guess, depending on who you are and like what space you live in, mm. pretty important. Um, but at the same time, I think, um, Asian experience still has value. Uh, like I see a lot of people that I really respect that have basically no social presence because they're too busy getting shit done and that's awesome okay you know (laughs) so how did those guys kind of start getting the kind of awareness and reach that like social media has because it Mm -hmm. seems or at least my perspective is without it you can't you can't really scale or Mm -hmm. get really really get your name out there unless you're working with like some really big guys and you're already like have a body of work that is well known in that particular industry for you to be like oh i know who that is Mm. you know i don't need to see his like socials or her socials to like understand what's going on it's that it's the body of work it's the body of work they just do work Mm. they've put out good work yeah um and a, a lot of them i would say are definitely that i'm if i'm thinking of specific examples quite a bit older um by quite a bit not like they're old but they're not in even in 10 years range of us yeah um you know and i think it's having um the experience behind you to do great work that is um recognized uh regardless of how it appears in this box yeah (laughs) (laughs) no i think that's i think that's very true uh the fact i think the age plays a factor in that just because you've had more time to do more things Mm -hmm. you know what i mean um but one thing that you actually and we spoke about this a little bit briefly before coming to like age and like experience Mm -hmm. and i think on the social media point it gives you the opportunity whether in a positive or negative way to show that you have a lot more experience than you might actually have Mm, it's a show-off space yeah exactly you know what i mean yeah um and we were talking about how nowadays it's more about experience than your age because your age doesn't define you could be like 50 years old and have not and done nothing you know what i mean and vice versa you could be 28 and have done like 10 million different things and like started businesses and so on so yeah. why has that why do you think that shift has become so much more prominent nowadays mm, because we're not doing things in such a linear way anymore you know i think okay. about like my parents generation my mom um she wanted a lot but because there was a way to do stuff like you do this and you do that yeah. like you don't skip steps yeah, um, yeah exactly you, you know? don't skip steps you don't skip steps like what's wrong with you like what you're so radical um yeah, yeah. so and you do that and then you naturally limit your potential mm. um and then everyone's kind of working their way up in the same way whereas for us and then gen z i can't even keep up um totally different and you can actually break the rules sometimes and you can do things that are a little unorthodox and then all of a sudden you've gained experience regardless of where you're supposed to be at a certain age yeah um and like we broke that you know door open but gen z is just like running through it um so the generation after us is so unorthodox like they do what they want when they want it um and because they have access because now they live in a much more digital world like we had dial-up growing up yeah we right did. like yeah, we did digital no. was not that accessible <laughs> um like i had 
I saw a meme today about Netflix. I don't know if you ever did it, but like Netflix used to be DVDs that you get mailed to you. Really? And you would only get three at a time. So it's like, I get to choose one. Mom gets to choose one. My sister gets to choose one. That is it. You don't have endless options. Yeah, yeah. You know, so like our life was different. Um, and for them, endless options, endless opportunity, access to the entire world at your fingertips every day. That is mind-blowing if you really yeah, think about it. That's true. So when you have all of this, you can't think about their age. You think about what they're doing with their tools. Yeah. That's their experience. Yeah. They have, so it's, it's kind of like they have the tools now to build that experience at a much earlier and faster rate than we, like us Absolutely. and previous generations have as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Nah, I never, I, now when you saying it, I'm like, oh shit, no, that's very true. It's that's very crazy. true. Are we talking like we're so old, like, oh, when there were DVDs yeah. and our parents had fucking no internet, yeah. no nothing, and we're talking shit. I know, but really, like, when I tell people I used to order Netflix in the mail, they're like, what? Like, I didn't even know about that. Yeah. That's how it started, by the way. I yes. had no clue. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, look at it now. Yeah. <laughs> they just flipped the whole thing. Um, I wanted to come to your work. Um, on the work that you do. So you're mm -hmm. a design strategist. Mm -hmm. And every meeting that I've sat with you, I swear if there was like, you create a meme for like our meeting, it's like, you're telling me things and I have like a cloud bubble and it's just question marks. Cause it's <laughs> like, they have never even thought of it before in my life. So why don't you tell us and all the watchers at home, what does the role of a des design strategist entail? And mm -hmm. you know, what's all the factors that play into that? What is design strategy? Well, I have to say it's a pretty new field, um, okay. you know, and, and I think it comes from, I think I explained it to you. So there's like the design world, obviously, which at its precedent is problem solving. Um, you put um, function over form. So it's kind of uh, antithetical to art and you design solutions, whether it's an experience, it's an identity, it's a process, anything. And then you have management consulting, which similarly does problem solving but for businesses and um, somewhere along the way they realized they like the powers that be McKinsey I don't know like <laughs> people realized yeah. that um that actually you can't really have one without the other because how can you solve um or you know redefine a business model or a strategy without thinking about the actual designed experience or output um and so somewhere they overlapped um there's some incredible people in this field, Tim Brown, um, IDEO, like there's some, you know, really great groundwork that happened a few decades ago and now continues to build this space today, which is design strategy where these things overlap. So on a day-to-day -day basis, like I consider myself a solutions provider, like I okay. literally just like whatever your problem is tell me and we'll find a way yeah we'll find a way to make it work yeah. um but of course you ground it in like um yeah. in logic and business sense we think about um sustainability and like future proof strategies we think about the fact that yes we want to solve your problem today but we want your success for the future which means asking about your vision it means asking about the impact you want to make um innovating the way you do things to really optimize to give um to give you the ability to constantly iterate and revise how you're doing because of those questions you asked in the beginning mm. because people change markets change yeah. times change so how do you be so rooted in who you are and what you do um and have business sense in that but be open to constantly growing um so that you can evolve as the world evolves yeah and um i think at the root of it design strategy is that like 
designing smart solutions. Designing smart solutions. So mm-hmm. it's not, like you said, it's not just about solving the, solving your problem today. It's about putting in a solution with a particular design so that five years down the line, this thing still holds and will optimize you and to achieve, what, from a business perspective, whatever you guys are trying to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. I've, one of the things about design and strategy that I think I've always found challenging is especially in the business world we're very you plan for five years but you act for tomorrow yes do you understand what i mean so when it comes to thinking such like because design strategy um, sounds like it's very long term and Mm -hmm. it also sounds like depending on what you want that those individual factors or inputs are going to play a big role in how that needs to be designed like looking forward Mm -hmm. so how do you start like, how do you think so, like, long like long term, you know what I mean? That's something that I try to do, but I'm, I'm a human. I struggle with that, like, big time, and I think yeah. many others do too. So what's your thinking behind that? How do you, mm. like, visualize that? Yeah, it's funny because right now I'm, I'm, I have a client that I think is not very happy with me because I'm being so practical about, like, wanting him to, about thinking about the financial uh, outcome of our efforts today. And, you know, I'm playing it out over the next few years. And he's like, no, no, no. But like, let's not worry about that because it's stressful when you're you're doing, you know, passion project and all that stuff. So um, (laughs) like I have to say, I just I it's it's not easy and not everyone thinks that way. So it becomes difficult. But then our role and I always tell people like our my role is to um, help you find the best way to build the future that you envision from today meaning like yes we build a beautiful strategy but we also want to tell you how to execute it right now um and what are all the steps to take to get to this beautiful dream place that you have in mind Mm. um but also to protect you in your vision and i think like that's something that i hold very important to me it's like if someone is doing something with a vision you don't um i don't want to shoot it down to build the best possible solution that will make the most money you know like of course yeah, that's yeah. important of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. but um but having having a vision is also important and helping people frame that vision so when i when i think about long-term strategies like i'm working on a really large-scale project right now where i'm thinking like 30 years out 30 um, years 30 years out <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's way right? out of my ballpark that's way too much for me so i'm thinking 30 years out but we're building a tactical plan for tomorrow wow to reach that 30 to reach years that 30 year goal Right. So, I mean, how I think about it, of course, you have to, you know, you take into account what we call ethnography and stuff. So you think about like um, place and time and people and markets and economies and all of that, everything that's the as is like what is happening, um, as well as the actual service that this business is providing and how they're structured and stuff. So you, you map what exists and then you kind of dream of what you want it to look like. Mm. And then it's about connecting the dots. Yeah. And problem solving for like what is the best possible case um, to reach that, uh, and creating priorities of like all of these things are possible to reach that. What's the most likely? What can I bet on? Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. What's gonna do it most effectively in the shortest period of time? So it's thinking, it's asking yourself those kind of questions, and it seems really pie in the sky, and um, it does definitely. Uh, it takes a lot of work to have those conversations with um, stakeholders or with clients sure. um, in a manner that they understand and they can connect the dots with you. Mm. Um, but then that's why like a lot of these larger strategy projects are like several months and it's it's a process of having multiple conversations of delivering bite by bite to get you to that 30-year vision. Yeah. Um, 
and make you feel comfortable that you will get there um but also give you a starting point um it's very scary to think about 30 years out and not know where to start 100 like you said <laughs> <laughs> like you said so i think the best analogy you said was like pie in the sky because especially 30 years out that's definitely how it would feel and i think like you said communicating that to stakeholders and successfully and getting them to buy into like the execution points like we need to do this to get to like mm -hmm. You need to do this in year one to get to like year two and then yes. year two and three and so on. So is design strategy something that is a consistent evolution or is it about putting in place a very structured plan mm. with the ability to have a lot of flexibility within that plan to start, you know, moving those dots like towards the next year and the next year and the next year? Yeah, I mean, a good uh, a good design strategy is that. So there's... um the concept of or the methodology of design thinking which is i mentioned tim brown like mm -hmm. he coined that um which now mckinsey has a design arm and everyone from berkeley to stanford to whatever they all have design thinking courses because they've realized how important it is and design thinking fundamentally is um thinking about designing processes that are iterative that you constantly have something mm, yeah. to measure and work towards and you know what are the variables that you probably will continuously improve and change um, based on X factors, you know? So it's that. It's like building a strong design strategy means that you know that this is life. Things are in flux. Things will change. Yeah. Um, but how do you prepare yourself for that? Yeah, exactly. Like you said, because someone I... One of my guests on the podcast, actually, we spoke about design thinking as well. And he mm -hmm. said the kind of same kind of thing that you did about making it an iterative process. You know, mm -hmm. don't like if you have a project, don't do everything and then get to the end and be like, oh, shit, there's like all these things that we have to change. You yeah. know, it's about let's make this one small change. Mm -hmm. See if it works. It's like it's basically it's like the, it's like an A-B testing strategy mm -hmm. that that's endless yep. until you reach like where you're trying to go. Right. Literally that. Yeah. And even when you reach there, you're probably going to be <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I got something else to do. <laughs> like, that's just that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just how it is. Yeah. It's yeah. Fact, trying to factor in for as much unpredictability with minimum risk as possible. That's why the A-B testing yes. kind of like works into it, right? Literally. And that's how I think business consulting turned into this is like, mm. um, or in its most effective form turns into this, is that that's, it, that was quite definitive. And yeah. this is not. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it takes into account that the human condition will change every day. Yeah. Forever. <laughs> <laughs> like literally. <laughs> I was just speaking before, man. We just uh, we're, like, like us now speak to us in a week. We might have completely different answers to these yes. questions. Literally, it's that. It's it. that significant. Um, I wanted to uh, ask you because I know I was doing my research mm. uh, since you were 19, you've been working like 10,000 jobs. And I know you're currently working four jobs. It's not enough, by the way. I don't yeah. think it's enough for her. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. But so and I know you've worked in so many different fields and industries, all kind of within like the, I guess, media marketing mm -hmm. branding slash side, like in mm -hmm. that bubble. But what would you say was the one during your career, because working out for like eight, nine years, mm -hmm. was the most challenging? And which did you learn the most from? What would you say? Hmm. I think you always learn the most from your first job. Um, really? Okay, you know, interesting. Or it depends on your relationship with that job. If it's just something like, you know, my uncle hooked me up for a summer, like totally <laughs> different. <laughs> you know, like we've yeah. all had those too. But like, it's totally different for something sure. that you, you've worked really hard to get. And um, mm. 
there's a lot on the line and you have to make like big girl decisions you know (laughs) like um my first job that I had is also the first job that I quit like that was a really scary moment I didn't know how to quit um you know and so I worked for I mean when I was 18 I worked in a yoga studio but I don't necessarily count that so my first (laughs) real job when I was 19 and I had interned before that I I wanted to work in hospitality so like I, I love hotels and everything to do with hospitality like of placing cups well and whatever <laughs> it's the OCD part of me so I, I interned in a hotel when I was like 16 or something um and I did a few other things but I guess I would say my real first job I was 19 and I worked for an architect and um and I got it like it was so by chance like someone was coming from Dubai to New York I, w- I was living in New York and I needed my paints from Dubai I like used to do a lot of fine art and um someone who knew someone brought it for me yeah did not know who this was and i went into his apartment um to pick it up and i'm like i was 18 at the time super ballsy always had something to say <laughs> and i walk in and i saw like a warhol original on the wall i saw frank gary chair i was like all right who is this guy yeah, yeah. he lives in a really nice penthouse like let's talk so i start talking to shit and like he pours me a glass of wine he's definitely 50 and i'm like 18 but we pour us a glass of wine like we keep talking politics and like um a lot of interesting things and just kind of pushing each other um and i guess we got on really well and that random interaction that he he made it a point to get to know me a little bit more he took me on an he was an architect he's an architect um took me on an architectural tour of new york no way um we like went for a hot pot with like his colleagues and stuff so like, i guess maybe it was his way of getting to know me and also feeling me out and um he's a sculptor he's super talented like a very very incredible person artist designer um and after about a year of like inviting me to a few different things and kind of having me around he offered me a job as like like the office intern and then I became assistant and at the time I thought I was going to be in fashion like I was studying apparel um but I got a job at an architecture firm so I was like all right let me let me pick up a few things and I ended up learning a lot I ended up taking a lot of night classes in order to keep up with my job to learn um interior design Design, and um and I yeah I was with him for almost two years and I worked my way up to junior designer and when they offered me the interior design position which is like my cap in a you know a a firm of that size I was only I was with him for two years so like I was just before I turned 21 and I thought well I can't be peaking right now. Mm, um, too early. It's too early, and mm. I and I don't know if this is what I want. I just kind of fell into it, and by then I had left apparel and I'd moved into this multidisciplinary world. I st- decided to do an integrated design where I could mix a lot of design disciplines. Yeah. So I, I the mindset I have today, I didn't know what it was then, and didn't really have a name. Um, but this kind of multidisciplinary mindset was very new in the design field. Like that um, major itself, I think we were the first or second year to graduate from it. So um, okay. it was really underfunded. Like we had very little resources, but it was like all, I wouldn't say misfits, but like <laughs> question marks. Like <laughs> yeah, me. yeah, the rebels. The rebels. So yeah, yeah. so like I think it, that job taught me a lot of like um, – the less you define yourself, the more potential you have, the more opportunity you have. I let I completely let go of what I thought I wanted to be, um, and I'm and and we talked about this. Like I struggle with discipline really hard. Um, 
now I'm great, very disciplined in my work. But at that time, saying like how ballsy I was, like striking up a conversation with someone <laughs> I don't know, and like just sitting in his apartment drinking wine, talking shit as if I know anything about anything. I was 18. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure I would be so embarrassed if I even remember what I said to him. Um, but I was so yeah, like no fucks given, really ballsy, and yeah. um, and I was ready to not be tied to a singular definition of who I am and what I'm going to be. And that allowed me to grow so much. Like I'm very capable as like an interior architect and that job gave me that. Um, It Mm. allowed me to grow in so many ways. It gave me the confidence of like going to find other jobs after that, like being somewhere for almost two years below when you're before 20 like that's no one really does that you know it's a lot of commitment 100 um so and i didn't know i had that commitment i i wasn't the best i was terrible with school actually not even not the best terrible (laughs) like i was on like academic probation kind of terrible not because i'm dumb i just didn't care yeah yeah. um and i you didn't i didn't believe in like education Mm. i didn't think Mm. this was important (laughs) um and it it taught me all of these things so i think that was incredible and taught me how to deal with um you know of the dynamic of working for someone um sorry what was your other question like what taught you the most yeah what well, was like the biggest thing like you you le- like i was asking you across the career but it sounds yeah. like that first job is when you learned like it's, the most shit you learned a lot i learned yeah, a lot yeah. i mean like every job i think taught me a lot but that one i think was um you know you're the training wheels so yeah, yeah you yeah. learn the most on yeah. that um but definitely there's been other circumstances i think learning how to quit I, I keep learning how to do that. Um, now I work for myself, so it's different. But uh, that that was always very hard for me because yeah. um, the same way I am in relationships, I am with work. Like you see the potential and you just buy into that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, w- I would say like the other one is probably I worked for um, a really high growth startup just when I graduated. So this was uh, five years ago and um, I had left... I really wanted to work in technical apparel. I love fitness and everything about it. And so I worked um, retail for a sportswear brand for a year until I got this job um, working in design for a sportswear brand. And it was um, it was started by two ex-investment bankers. Um, our office was on Wall Street. It functioned like a Wall Street company, like 20-hour okay. days. Um, and I was part of the initial team of 10, second person on the design and product team uh, production team which is like in another business that would be several departments yeah yeah for um, sure so we i learned so much about i built we built ip into that business we mm. saw them through three rounds of funding um successfully i opened um three stores for them in the states while all wow. obviously doing my job of like you know designing the work working on production hiring and staffing training doing sales every single day on the shop floor um to hit sales targets and working through the holiday season i never saw my apartment because i was in boston all the time or other whatever another city so i was barely in new york anymore and like you gave my whole life to that job and i think that was the other big learning like first job and then that job and that job that was my hardest job ever yeah like it was such a big learning but i learned a lot about how to run a business how to build a team how to train how to do all of it yeah and i think what you said about something really interesting that you said is like the less you define yourself the more uh i, I don't know if correct from it was opportunity that you have or the more potential like you could Both. get into so i've never looked at it that way to be mm-hmm. honest i always thought 
the goal or all our goals like as people as businesses is to solidify who you are and that identity mm -hmm. so do you still feel that way now or now do you feel that do you have a different perspective on like that statement no i still feel that way really okay interesting like, i'm a chameleon <laughs> 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 I, like, literally, <laughs> but i'm not even joking like i literally no, I that is how i feel about life like yeah you have values you mm. know your skills you know what's you know what you believe in yeah but beyond that like why tie yourself mm. i don't want to say tie yourself down it sounds um a little promiscuous like restrictive but like yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you. restrictive <laughs> like you know that's why i say i'm like i feel like i'm a solutions provider because mm. i don't feel anything is beyond me really if i take the same approach yeah to everything yeah you know yeah um sense. then there's just maybe a little bit of a learning curve if it's something you haven't done before but mm. it's like if you have the right mindset and the right thinking and the right toolkit nothing is really beyond you and i think if everyone took that approach people would be so far if you tell yourself i'm a sales analyst or you know you give yourself one role mm. then you're so stuck in that role and the definition of that role that you actually don't see yourself for all your potential, for all your tools, mm. for all your experiences. And um, that's actually what allows you to grow and to test. And I think as human beings, all you want to do is test, is yeah. to see what you can do. Sure. Um, to, yeah. As a very refreshing perspective. <laughs> I've never heard anyone talk about it like that. But the way you explained that, I'm like, it's really interesting. Because like you said, we have... We have our, I guess, our set factors, almost set, not, mm -hmm. not necessarily even. But why tie yourself down and not use those to express it in so many different ways and different experiences and so on? I think yeah. that's a very refreshing perspective. I've never heard anyone talk yeah. about it to me like that. Um, so thank you. That's yeah. good. I like people who like make me think differently. And it gives you confidence. For You're sure. like, man, I can take whatever this is because I'm prepared. I have the right tools. Yeah, focus exactly. Focus on your tools. Don't exactly. focus on the, the rest. A hundred percent. A hundred, hundred percent. That's so interesting. <laughs> um, I wanted to come on to uh, your current job, which is at Sense, mm -hmm. Sense Studio. That's your, that's your business mm -hmm. and everything. So why don't you tell me and all the viewers at home <laughs> what is sense studio and give us a little background about what was your motivation for wanting to start it mm. um well i had no motivation to okay. start it <laughs> <laughs> okay um okay. i was i was working um when i left that job like the apparel the um, technical sportswear mm. um i was just like so burnt out um I had left with the decision of like, I was on a green card track and stuff with them in New York. And I left with the decision that I would rather pursue happiness and take a bet on myself than okay. be in a shitty place and be scared of a piece of paper like this visa. Like, there's yeah, visas no, are so annoying. Man. There's no yeah. way a yeah, piece of paper yeah. is going to control my life. Okay. And I, I made Respect. that decision and mm -hmm. I fought really hard because they tried really hard to keep me. Um, and I was um, as young as 23. And of course, you kind of feel like, oh, shit, like, am I fucking up my future? Mm. But at the same time, yeah, I, I just felt like I need to take the risks. So coming from that space, it was a made in USA sportswear brand. And um, learning everything I had, I looked at what tools I could apply to um, to this region. So I was kind of doing a goodbye tour <laughs> to like okay. everyone I worked with, yeah. everyone I knew in New York. And in this goodbye tour, I caught up with um, 
uh, someone, Agustina, she's so dear to me. She, I met her in that first job with the first, that architect, and um, she taught me how to use AutoCAD. Um, you oh know, and like, oh, I'm not yeah, from <laughs> yeah, and like she was, um, she's from Argentina, and so like I okay. would, I would help her with some copywriting stuff. Um, and you know, we built a bond, and then of course we worked together for that two years, and we stayed in touch. So we went for a coffee, and she had just started a business, a boutique um, design and build firm in New York, and she's like, oh, I need help with a building. Like, are you still comfortable doing? It? I'm like, yeah, cool. Did one building with her while I was coming here to Dubai. And kind of feeling it out to do the sportswear. Ended up, this is 2016 to 2017, so two years. Uh, ended up building like 10 buildings with her. One turned into wow. 10 in New York. Um, a lot of, it was all like development projects. So, you know, in Brooklyn where like they kind of renovate, um, like got renovations of older buildings and um, put like condos on the market for the modern customer. Um, so that was an interesting experience. And then at the same time, I was flying back and forth with Dubai, one month here, one month there. And what we built here with someone I went to high school with um, randomly got in touch with each other. And we ended up building like a sportswear brand that actually did pretty well for starting with basically nothing. So like by our third release, we like broke even in two days. We were making good money on it. And I was getting like people reaching out to me for investment. Okay. So I was like, all right, I can't live between two continents. Yeah. I'm super yeah. tired. I was working two time zones for two years. I slept an average of like two hours a night. Um, <laughs> this It was it was nuts. And, and that's where I'm saying like, don't limit yourself. Like I just didn't think about it. I was yeah. just like, oh, this is just what I'm doing. Like, cool, this is how I'm living. Um, this is it, yeah. This is it. <laughs> uh, and it was just interesting to me to figure it all out. So doing that I'm doing this and I was here and while I was doing the sportswear brand of course people knew me as like um I had freelance for quite a few big brands um through people I'd worked with before like Reebok and um Noble and stuff so I was like the girl like that did the design for Reebok or whatever so it's like that got me like you know uh, like that got me like one random client um and then I got another client and then all of a sudden I'm doing like the free like freelance brand strategy and branding and whatever and uh social media on the side and like it was obviously way too much to handle so I needed to make a decision so I literally like overnight canceled my last ticket back to New York uh end of 2017 December uh two weeks out I canceled it I decided to stay in Dubai I decided to formalize what I'm doing um in terms of the freelance clients so in order to really legally make money here I needed to put a trade license to it and with the clothing I actually pulled it offline which is what you see today and like I decided you know because I'm getting people asking to invest and it was actually a lot of demand outside of UAE whereas that was very UAE centric yeah. what we were doing at the time that I needed to rebrand it make it less UAE centric um uh, Swarovski and I were already in touch and they wanted to collaborate on stuff so there was all these things happening that I felt I should just take a risk mm -hmm. um so yeah moved here and started the studio i had a partner at the time um she i mean i knew her from the fitness industry um that was basically my space um so she worked with me for about a year but then kind of really like pt is her main thing so yeah. i think i yeah. like we realized that you know no like this is my thing and that's your thing and that's totally fine so um, that happened and I think after the first year where we were just feeling it out figuring out what we each wanted and stuff um, and building our client base to then year two which has been this past year where after um, I took I took over the whole company uh, now I have a team of four people 
Um, so they sit right between strategy and creative. I'm trying to train all of them to have this kind of ridiculous mindset that I have <laughs> of like not committing, not putting a box and just trying everything. Um, so it's really interesting, but I love all of our projects. Like I think that um, we have the ability to create impact no matter how big or small with every client that we work with and having such an uh, like a genuinely like curious and excited mindset every day has is what built this business yeah. um literally no intention behind it just like cool like i want to help you solve that problem let's figure out how together yeah. um so it's been all of that and now of course like the clothing line's kind of filtering back in we're trying to figure out what to do with all of these like loose pieces that um me being me has like accumulated <laughs> yeah. um but yeah i'm still i'm still somewhat um involved in all these past lives and past selves yeah yeah it's so interesting that <laughs> i love the when i ask you like what was motivation like i didn't have one <laughs> i just kind of started but it started like not hearing the story started as a result of your hard work and like the accumulation of so many different kinds of projects mm. and different things so it makes complete sense to formalize it but again you you need a company you need people because you're going to be spreading yourself way too thin yeah. you know what i mean and i know you already have such a, a lot on your plate and you're already spreading yourself too thin so i don't know if you fixed your problem but, no. <laughs> but it's not a bad problem to have no it's not i'm, I'm super grateful i love what yeah. i do and like it genuinely excites me like exactly. i didn't yeah i didn't know that um yeah i didn't know that it was possible to really wake up every day and be like fuck i want to solve that problem mm -hmm. but that's that's how i am yeah it's not like it gave you the arena or the platform to fully like fulfill or express the, your creativity that you love because mm -hmm. i know you're a design strategist artist and writer as well correct yes so I, w I was curious when i found that i'm like oh i didn't know she was all those things as well so if I told you, hmm. if you had to pick just one, hmm. don't don't think of it from a financial perspective, hmm. just from what you love to do. Hmm. Which of the three is like the one that you're like that? Is it a writer? Is it an artist? Hmm. Is it a is it designing? What would you say? Hmm. Who really is that? Yeah. <laughs> should, should I give you like the uh, the really annoying answer? I yeah, mean, that's fine. the really annoying answer is that. Um, I think all of it is art. I think every single person, like this is your art. I think every single person, what they do is their art, mm. if you choose to define it that way. Yeah. Like sure, I've lived in the traditional sense of like I grew up doing fine art and I love that. And that could be like your artist. But um, I think everyone has their own art. Whatever you do on a daily basis is your art. So I think that's that's what I am. You were right. That is the annoying answer. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm sorry. <laughs> it's art. the most annoying thing ever uh, but that's what you believe that's what you think it is what i believe yeah. like okay. you're an artist just embrace it it's <laughs> <laughs> so funny I mean, like you said it's annoying i was kind of setting myself up i'm like okay how and then i'm like oh it's exactly that okay yeah. <laughs> but it is that and, you know i'm gonna tell my kids they're special yeah. <laughs> it's it's that kind of answer as you should man it's fine it's, if that's what you if that's what you believe and that's what you truly yeah. believe like who, who gives a shit that's you it is what I believe. Day. What was from? I know recently you completed your, uh, you did a certificate with of women's entrepreneurship right at Cornell. So I thought that was fucking sick. And congratulations, Thanks. by the way. <laughs> um, so the question I was thinking about is entrepreneurship. I know there's classes on it. I know there's courses on it. But 
it seems from my perspective it's a very do and figure out mm. kind of like way of life or way yes. of working and so on so what was i'm curious what was your biggest takeaway from that course that you learned about entrepreneurship because i think that would be super be useful. honest nothing literally nothing <laughs> <laughs> so what the mic <laughs> really literally nothing and um i wish so for context yeah uh, my sister my sister works for um or she's a co-founder at this um tech startup in new york okay and they do a lot of um i mean they do diversity and inclusion training for a lot of corporates and workshops and things like that so i had seen it in her newsletter and this is like over a year ago and then I, it crossed my mind, but I was like, I don't know, whatever. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm good. And then, and then she had messaged me. She's like, oh, you know, Bank of America and Cornell have partnered to do this thing for free. Typically, it's a paid course. Okay, sick. Um, so, but, like, it's, it's capped, so you should apply. And because my sister said it, and I really value what she thinks, and, um, you know, she's one of the few, few people that really know me, I was like, all right, if you think it's valuable and if you think I have the discipline to do this, let's do it. So then I, I applied, and um, I got in, but... They had so many applications that they put me on a wait list for the next year. So for a year? For a year. So oh, this wow. was last year. And then okay. this May, it's like Corona. Like, I don't know what's happening in life. And I got an email. Your course starts in two weeks. And I was like, what the fuck? Oh, so, shit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. so, so like, this is where ego comes in. I was like, yeah. no, no, I'm going to do it. And yeah, I'm going to do it fucking right. well. I'm going to kill this. Yeah. Yes. So it's two week like increments. Okay. I hope no one from Cornell ever hears this. But like it's two week increments. And I would literally do the work like two hours before the midnight deadline of the two weeks. Okay. Um, and I found it so easy and actually no takeaway and it was it was also very like new york centric and i did actually have um a small like business in new york when i first went freelance again legal reasons um but like i just found that there was really nothing there was nothing it was like a lot of like okay this is what a business model canvas looks like this is what you need to think about when you're negotiating like sure that's cool but like if you've been in the game for a few years like yeah. you kind of already been through that mm-hmm. um so i was hoping that there would be more i should have probably just stopped doing it but like somewhere i was just like yeah this is my ego i yeah, need to yeah. finish it yeah, yeah so yeah i did the course yeah. i thought it was nah. okay fair enough but yeah from the sounds of it you already everything that you would have taken in the course you kind of already learned yeah. from your real life work experience and running your business okay like now that makes sense and thank you for being honest some people be like oh no maybe no, that's good no i'm so honest <laughs> <laughs> sorry no don't be sorry please don't um f- uh for my last few questions mm-hmm. i wanted to ask you what's the best career advice you ever got and mm-hmm. then we'll move on to the next one after okay the best career advice I have to say is like um it's back to when I like I had to, I was wanting to leave my first job mm-hmm. and one of my colleagues um she was my direct report at the time and I really saw her as a mentor she uh she told me and actually my mom continues to say the same thing so maybe it's like a thing that women learn okay. when they're working like I don't know okay. um she was like you know you shouldn't feel guilty that you're leaving and like you don't you don't owe anyone anything but respect when you work for them so if you've shown up every day and you've done your job and you've done it respectfully with nothing but the best intentions you've done your job and um and that's really it and i think 
for someone like me who's super passionate about what you do, you get heavily invested in, in the vision and the business and the person that's running it and all of it. And being able to remind yourself to step away from that passion, mm. Um, mm. that's what allows me, I think, to be so disciplined today with my okay. clients and my work. Like sometimes a project isn't going the way I think like its true potential should go. And then I just remind myself of like, no, but I, I owe this person respect. I don't owe them my life yeah so um, yeah, just exactly. like take a step back it's not your baby it's not any of that stuff and that really helped me frame um the parameters around work yeah. and i think for anyone it's like love your work do your best to love your work but know that especially when you're doing it for someone else know that all you need to bring to the table every day is respect yeah I think that's amazing advice and i actually felt something similar with my first job i mm -hmm. thought like if I left this company and let's say I worked for like, went to work for like a competitor, let's say. Mm. I'm like, oh, I have like a loyalty, you know, to this company. That was the word that was in yes. my head because I value loyalty quite highly. Yeah. But what I've learned in my in my working experience is like, I couldn't give a fuck about loyalty and they don't, they don't care either. Yeah. It's not that you shouldn't care and they don't care either. So like you said, as long as you showed up, were respectful, did your job, mm. what you have been paid to do. Yeah. That's it. At the end of the day, everyone at the end of the day, and I tell this to everyone, everyone's going to do whatever they need to. Mm. No matter who they are, no matter what company you work for, everyone's going to exactly. take whatever decision they need to that they think is the best for their life and for their future. Yeah. And on future, mm. what's your vision for the future? What would you like in the next few years? For me? Yeah, for you. Mm, what would I like? Um, hmm... I'd like to go to Mexico. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like time uh, off. Like yeah, I like yeah. you know I I love what I do and I'm totally fine that with the fact that I work 7 days a week most weeks. But um at the same time, uh I think the how much you get from self-reflection and from stepping back only makes you so much better at what you do. So For sure. Um I think finding opportunities to do that without um letting things crash and burn would be incredible but um yeah in a few years like i, I have a team of incredible women and I, I would see them as my partners i would see them building this business into something that um would make each of us happy in our own ways um that for me is the most important like i do what i do but if you're not gonna if you're not gonna have a tangible impact if you're not gonna um, value those around you then I don't think what you're doing is like really enough okay um, so and I know that's a high standard to hold but like I think that's it like I I want um, if I can to support those around me and I would hope that I get the same mm -hmm. and I've had some incredible mentors in my life so I hope I can do that yeah um, so yeah yeah I don't think uh it's a high standard. It's your standard because high, mm. you're measuring it against what? It's, yeah. it's, very, it's all subjective. It's all relative. Tammy, this has been so much fun. Like Thank my you. mind's like blown with some of the things you said. <laughs> like I never even thought about things in this way and whatever. So I yeah. personally have learned so much from the from our conversation and you really helped me get a new perspective on so many different things so thank you for that thank you. um the question that i like to ask all my guests at the end mm. is what is a message that you'd like people to take home with them today mm. i think the most important message that everyone at any age can take home is that nothing is finite like really nothing is concrete 
uh, tell yourself that every day, even if like someone is like, no, but you're you're that guy, like you're good at that, or um, or you wake up every day and you're like, no, but like I'm I'm sitting in this role or I'm that person's this. None of that actually matters. Nothing is finite. So the more you believe that you have endless potential and opportunity, the more you can achieve in life. And I think um, everyone deserves that much. Yeah, that's an amazing message and a new one. No one's ever said that before. No one's ever said that on <laughs> the show before. And I, I love the the message behind it, you know, like seek out your endless potential and do the yeah. best you can. You don't know what's going to come we don't know what's happening tomorrow so just you know believe in yourself put in the hard work and exactly. see what happens don't just as you said continuously just don't box yourself in right exactly it sounds yeah. like peter pan but it's really not it's no, not no. it's not that no, no. i don't think it is dreamy you know no, it's no, it really it's isn't. in the most realistic way yeah. it's like it's actually what we are like mm. none of us are finite we're human beings we change every day exactly yeah 100 percent <laughs> Thank you so much, Tanvi, for coming on the show. This has been so much fun. I've loved it. And I think a lot of people can take something from this across so many different like things from marketing to branding, whatever. I know I've learned a lot. So thank, thank you. you so much. I really appreciate it. Guys, to everyone at home watching, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And as always, hope it helps. Peace.